Hey everybody, this is Chavez! Tonight's guest had some difficulty recording his audio, and it cuts out, well, towards the end of the podcast. So every time he's supposed to talk, you're gonna hear... (laughs) We decided to do that instead of just totally cutting out everything and leaving you guys hanging with no podcast. This is Chavez! Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 78. We've got a special guest with us this week. AJ Huff from Design the Everything is here. Welcome, AJ. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. And... AJ, what is your dominant skill set? That would be metal finishing. Metal finishing. And what skill class is metal finishing? That would be abrasive walnut shells. Ooh. That sounds about I was, right. Yeah. I, yeah. Squirrel. Right. I was thinking something else, but. It's, it's squirrel. Yeah. Squirrel. Pretty much yeah. anyone yeah. can approach that. I think everybody's <laughs> held a walnut shell at least at one point in their life. Right? Yeah. Okay. At least. At least. So this is the part of the show where we do uh, research and fun facts on our topic. Uh, AJ, did you do any research? I did on not. Metal finishing. You did not. We're gonna blame Tom for that. Tom, did you do any yeah. research? That's okay. Yeah. I I forgot to remind AJ about everything. In fact, <laughs> AJ reminded me that I'm doing a podcast tonight. So my bad. I have a fun fact. Did you know that polishing is a good way to prevent like your metal from tarnishing and getting rusty and that stuff yes oh good do you like that fun fact because big pits in your in your metal hold water (laughs) yes something like that yeah i like big pits i cannot lie (laughs) this is going downhill right away (laughs) tanda do you do you have anything to save tom uh the the research I did research. was uh, um, on conversion coating, uh, like say aluminums, and I, I thought it was interesting just kind of reading into the chemistry a little bit of like a chromate conversion coating. So if you've seen aluminum or steel, that's kind of that yellowy, kind of iridescent yellowy color. Um, that's a typically a chromate conversion coating or like the trade name allodyne, and just reading into kind of molecularly what's going on, I found it really interesting that that starts out when it's dipped as turning into a gel. And so there's this colloid or this gel that's coating the whole part as the, um, as the chromate coating reacts with the metal on the surface. And then that gel film that's now on the part, and this is after dipping it in for just, you know, in the like single digit minutes. It's not a long drawn out process. That gel film starts to contract and as it dries, it starts creating this like skeleton over the part, like this lattice of scales over the part. And it dries and kind of shrinks around the part. And so just to kind of picture that and kind of think about what's going on microscopically is interesting. It's kind of creating this scaly skin on the part. 
And then the other thing that I found interesting about it was that it doesn't really completely cure or completely dry. So there's some um, chromium compounds that are still kind of there and unreacted. And as it gets wet in the future, that reacts and kind of repairs itself. So these microscopic little breaks in it that form later um, are kind of self-healing as far as you know, avoiding corrosion or healing from where corrosion would start. And so I thought that was a real interesting, I'd never really looked into what's going on with chromate conversion coating, but we used to send a lot of parts out that were kind of half alodyned and half anodized. So they had like anodize or hard anodize on the outside to give them, you know, kind of the, um, the look we wanted and the protection but because anodize is, is an insulator, it's aluminum oxide is insulating, we had to allodyne the inside of all of these enclosures because they needed to be conductive for shielding reasons. Hmm. And so it was, it was, they were interesting looking parts because they were kind of anodized, finished on the outside, but they had an allodyne ring around the inside and the, and the entire inside of this enclosure case was allodyne. So that was that was interesting, and so I was doing a little research on that, and kind of went down a rabbit hole on on what's really going on with conversion coating. So it's it's got a skeleton made of crackly, gooey parts that's on that the dry inside. out and make a make a crackly skeleton of it, scales on it. It sounds like a zombie lizard. That's the that's impression. pretty much yeah. exactly what it is. That's where the color comes from. If you look at a at a part that's yeah. that's alodyned, yeah. it it's the exact same color as a zombie lizard. That's what I was thinking. Yes, it's it's an undead alligator. Um, that's that's got to be the grossest technical thing you've brought onto the show. I don't know. It's not, I don't know. It's, <laughs> oh, it's only it. gross if you're small. At human scale, it's it's not gross at all. Now I feel like she's using technical terms instead of the disgusting terms I'm using. What did, what did you find, PJ? I looked up metal finishing superstitions, and I, I found some. <laughs> of course you did. I found some, and then I tried to go to the website, and my web browser is like, this site is bad for your computer. You can't go there. <laughs> and I'm oh, just man. like, Somebody's hacked so, my server. So would you say the ultimate superstition is do not look up metal polishing superstitions i i i would say if you manage to go to that website you might go to that's the, just just a guess it's it's the computer tried to save me from it so anyway i looked up when was metal polishing invented and i i didn't know what i was going to find but i found something interesting it's kind of short but it talks about in the fourth millennium uh, they found artifacts that had uh, layers of corrosion, which would have been eating away at the earliest examples of patina on metal. So it's kind of hard to see exactly what that would have been. Um, however, in the third millennium BC, uh, metal foil and wire were inlaid into grooves and decoratively, decoratively wrapped around crimped, onto objects in Egypt and the Middle East. And this technique continued into the Roman period and later. 
And then in the second millennium, metal leaf, which is thinner than foil, uh, becomes part of decorative statues. So this is over 2,000 years ago. And the thing that I'm wondering is, how are they producing metal leaf to, to use as a decorative add-on for statues and things like that? It, it just seems like that's something that requires a little bit of technology that wouldn't have been available then. So mm. I, I don't know. Do you know how... When, any, did, you, when did smelting start? I mean, I think that in Africa, they were smelting things like in, in times where you wouldn't, I mean, like prehistory almost. Uh, Tanda, I'm pretty sure that it, 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 you smelt it, dealt it, has been around for a very long time. So, but, but <laughs> AJ said he knows the answer to this. Yeah, uh, you use a hammer. You take gold, you hit it with a hammer a bunch of times on a, you need a smooth hammer and a really smooth anvil, and you just keep crushing it down. To make... Oh, to make gold leaf. Oh, to make a gold leaf. You're hilarious. Yeah, the, yeah, the blacksmiths... <laughs> no, have, no, it's called gold leaf. Not... The thin foil is called gold not, leaf. No, not, not joking. Not a leaf shape. <laughs> you take gold, no. put it on your anvil, whack it with a hammer, repeat until it's gold leaf. Like no, a, no, not not a leaf shape, aged like like a like a thin yeah. thin piece, like it's it's thinner than foil. It's not that's not what we're talking about. You could probably make a leaf that way too. I'm pretty sure I've seen like Alex Steele do that, but yeah, for sure. And if you, I mean, if you made that leaf really really thin, then it would be you could make like a gold leaf leaf. I don't think this is going anywhere. It's, it's not. Uh, no, we don't seem to. All right, let's move on. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. I had probably uh, the most epic pick this year so far, which is a great way to start off the, the picking season. Uh, this is called the Inside Man Deal. So I want to say it was about this time last year uh, I picked up a Walker Turner floor model drill press from a guy named Matt Kittle. And Matt listens to the podcast, so shout out to Matt. Hey, Matt. He, uh, called, he texted me like a week and a half, two weeks ago, and he's like, hey, my dad just cleared out this machinist shop and he's got a whole bunch of tools, and I told him that I would give you, you know, a call and let you know that maybe there's something there you want. And so I'm like, man, send me some pictures. So he did, and I saw things I wanted. And I'm like, all right, give me his number. Let me let me talk to him. So I talked to him, and Matt and his dad, Jeff, both said the same thing when I talked about price. They basically said they're looking for just above scrap prices, which would have been awesome. Unfortunately, though, Jeff has too many friends, and that ended up messing things up for me, which you will <laughs> find out about uh, in due process. But I'm going to tell you what I got, and then I'm going to give you the rest of the story. So uh, the thing that I went there for, which I've been after for years, is a 1953... Delta Rockwell one half horsepower tool grinder with forward reverse, undamaged, and the original drip cups with the valves. Tom, this is the thing that you sold um, to your buddy that sent it overseas. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I got that. I got three DP600s, Delta drill presses, wow. gang mounted. Uh, one had a one third horsepower GE motor. One had a one half horsepower Rockwell Delta. And one had possibly a Westinghouse, but it was painted over so I couldn't tell. Uh, the one with the original motor is from 1957, and the other two are from 1964. Then I also got a pre-1948 Walker Turner 15-inch drill press, also gang-mounted, with possibly a factory belt guard. I have not seen this before, but there are some there's some evidence that suggests it might be factory. Uh, it is not a cast belt guard. It is uh, a bent metal, but there's an add-on for the motor, which makes me think it might be like one of the early versions. I have uh, a three-inch two-jaw lathe chuck, a four-inch three-jaw lathe chuck, five-inch three-jaw lathe chuck, and then a five-inch six-jaw lathe chuck. Uh, I got a box with 212 end mills, all different sizes. Some are doubles, most are singles. Uh, I got two lathe-mounted knurlers, tooling, uh, four old-stock drill press handles. There's no tapping at the end. It's just like a bar, and then there's a knob, an old-school knob. I got six large lathe countersinks. Uh, four giant keyway brooches, which they're like maybe like an inch wide and like 18 inches long. Like these things are massive. It's for some kind of big machinery. I got a 1970s Rockwell 1x42 sander grinder. Um, this machine, I didn't know what it was, but it looked really cool. And I looked it up after the fact. It's a Hammond Machinery Builders model VC chip breaker grinder accessory that holds up to a one inch collet for sharpening or shaping grinding wheels and um it it looks really cool it says kalamazoo on it and the whole nine yards so it's uh it's vintage it tries to turn on all, all the drill presses i tested and they worked with the exception of the walker turner which was wired for 220 so i have to switch it back to 110 to see but that motor probably works too um, this little machine, it tries to work. Like if it turn it on and you try to spin the wheel, it tries to go, but I think it's a little gunked up. So I got to take that apart and clean it. I got five machinist vices. Uh, one is with an angle adjustment. I got a Walker Chucks 10 by five mag chuck, which is really cool. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, really close to like not wanting to get rid of that because it looks neat too it's got brass fixturing on the sides um, i got a bunch of t-slot bolts and then regular nuts and bolts a box of miscellaneous raw stock that was mixed in with things some sheet metal snips um, i got three additional sets of six jaw chucks a uh, six how do i say this the jaws for the chuck, I have three sets of six for that chuck. 
and two of them have aluminum screw inserts on the jaw, which I'm guessing are sacrificial. If you're going to mm -hmm. machine something. Soft jaws. Yeah, mm -hmm. soft jaws. And then I have additional aluminum soft jaw inserts to go with that. Um, I've got a double tool holder, which I've never seen before. Instead of like a post that just holds on one side, it holds on both sides. I got two small lathe uh, rotary handles and then a few drill bits. So quite a haul. I mean, it's, it's a big yeah. haul. And so we get all this done. And I, I spent two and a half hours with Jeff. And like I said, he's got too many friends. While we were there, three different people showed up. Like one guy showed up and left and another guy showed up. So the people just kept coming. And there was this guy there. I think his name was Randy when it was time for like us to... to to get to the pricing and everything. And I had been there with Jeff helping him unload a dump truck, which still had all the stuff in it. And I I said, so you, you, you said above scrap prices, right? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know what scrap prices are. I'm like, my dad is always complaining that they're in the toilet right now. I was like, how does 180 sound? Which I think is probably more than scrap pricing. And this is where his friends come in. I should also point out uh, one of his friends came and took a, a vintage craftsman grinder and what I believe to be either a reed or a Charles Parker vice bench vice that looked like it was in perfect condition took those before I could get to them. So like that's, this is, this is, you know, there would have been more. So I said, how about 180? He goes, he goes, well, my friend so-and-so was here and he saw that and offered me 200 bucks, but I told him that you were coming and he had to wait. So I can't take 180. And I'm like, okay okay so i see where this is going and i said all right jeff i said well i brought 300 with me how does that sound and he so he does this little dance and he says he turns to randy and is like what do you think randy should i take 300 i mean it'll be gone today and randy kind of like does a little head shake back forth eh, i don't know you know just standing there just keep my mouth shut you know <laughs> And then Jeff's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. So so 300 was a fair price for me. Uh, I would have preferred to pay less, but I have seen those tool grinders go for anywhere from 300 to $500. And, I'm, and I mean, I'm sure they go for more depending on where you're getting them. But on Marketplace, that's been the range. Tom, how much did you sell yours for? I don't remember. Maybe maybe four. Maybe five. They paid a lot though. Yeah. Those guys paid a lot for everything. So and and I, I turned on that thing, dude. It sounded like new. Like it was like boom. What brand what brand did you say it was? The Delta Rockwell. It's the same one that you had. Sa same exact? Um I kinda want it back. I'll give you a deal. Well, this one. Yours, I don't think, had a light on it. Mine has a machinist light that comes from the back, and then yeah. it's, it's... Did it? Did yours have that? Yeah, like the big... Yeah, it did. Okay. It's a nice It's a nice tool to have. You know why? Because it, when you take, like, tool steel to, like, a regular grinder, it doesn't do anything, and then you take it to that, and it destroys it. And it's awesome. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to play with that. Like, hardened steel. It'll just, it'll just grind anything you touch to it. But those wheels are pretty expensive if i i don't i don't remember well but like carbide it'll grind carbide the one looks like a kind of like a, a carbide like grinder, a like a get it. <laughs> if the you one put side, a diamond wheel on it 
is it's like a like a regular to me no. to me it looks like a regular like a medium wheel like it looks like it's all speckled but the other side yeah. it looks black like i don't have any idea what it is i don't i don't either there were two different wheels on mine but both of them would grind carbide that's like it was yeah. really it was really cool and like i had these hardened pins and for whatever reason i need to modify one and I took it to like my angle grinder because I'll do that before I do most other things, and it didn't touch it. It just it didn't touch it at all. And I brought it over to that thing, and it just like chews it. It's really neat. Did yours have forward and reverse? Yes. I yeah, it had like a a flipper both ways, and then in the middle. Yeah, it was messed up a little. It worked, but it was like I don't remember putting it in reverse, but. Um, but yeah, it depends on your geometry of the tool you're trying to grind. You might need to go in reverse for that. So this one has like a knob on a flat lever and it swings one way or the other. And yeah. I feel like all the other ones I've seen just had a regular switch though. Mine had a mine had a f the same thing like that. All right. Like a finger that went back and forth. I guess it's yeah, you could kind of consider it a finger. But um yeah. But anyway, man, uh, I, that's right um, in the middle. That's that's my bargain. I was thrilled to that's get cool. it. So he, but uh, but now he that all that money was what I was going to use to go to the Jacktown flea market in two weeks. So now <laughs> I gotta listen. I'll give you I'll give you two hundred bucks for it if it works. You said it works, and but you have to hold it for me, and I could send you the money so that you can go to the other place. Deal? Nah. That's a great deal. I just told you I've been trying to find one of these for years. Oh, why do you need it? Because I, I have I have needs. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, well, you need you need money to go to the Jacktown, right? Yeah, I'll I'll allocate I'll money. Venmo, I'll Venmo you right now. <laughs> I'll allocate some money from somewhere else. I've got stockpiles. You know, I'm sitting on all. Two hundred bucks is a good offer. I would never pay two hundred dollars. Because, well, you know what I mean. Like, I would ne I would never pay $200 for that in the wild. So, think of it this way. Let's say I did pay $200 for that. That means everything else I listed was 100 bucks. I know, it's a good story to tell. You should take my money. Um, by the way... You made, um, made back two-thirds of it the night you told us about it. And the mag it. truck. <laughs> and I want the mag truck. So... Um, somebody inquired about the mag chuck already because I have a I have I send it I have like a little group that I send pre pre pictures out so they could see what I got, and someone's like how much for that mag chuck? So I re I researched mag chucks, and they go for anywhere from two hundred to six hundred dollars used. Mm -hmm. And so I told him I'm like yeah, but not the one you got. I saw the one you got. It's not those are like fifty bucks. <laughs> Fifty bucks. Who wants? I'll give you two fifty. Who wants a bunch of deer? For the mag truck? Nobody wants a bunch <laughs> I, of I deer. Have small, I have a small mag truck. I'm not using Tom. I'll send it. I can send it to you. I have a mag truck on my surface grinder that I don't use. I let me rephrase that. I have a surface grinder I don't use with a mag truck on it. <laughs> you probably paid less for that than I paid for all that stuff. Uh, yeah, two hundred bucks. That's my point. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. AJ, how did you get into metal finishing? 
Well, I started by being a really bad machinist. And it turns out if you want to make pretty parts and you're bad at machining, then you need to get good at finishing. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. So so you're you're good at starting, but the finishing came later. Yes. Okay. And what did you like how did where did this start? Like what was the impetus for the machining in the first place? So I guess this depends on how far back you want to go. Um, but there was one day, me and, me and a buddy were sitting in our uh, college dorm, and we were looking at Kickstarter, and we found this Kickstarter for a pen that sold for like $200,000. So they did $200,000 in, in sales. And we were like, well, that's cool. And we did some digging around, and we found like four or five other pens that did like $200,000 or in that ballpark in sales. And we went, well, we want to make a pen. And so that kind of started. That's that's what started so Design the Everything. Um, this was like six years ago. And there was a, some stuff in between, but eventually I ended up buying a lathe. Uh, we did a pen, but we got it 3D printed from Shapeways. Uh, we did not make $200,000. But then we started making little spinning tops, uh, like, mm-hmm. a, like a toy top. And it turns uh-huh. out there's this huge market for super high-end spinning tops. Uh, just like the custom knife world, or I'm sure the like high-end tool world, like there are people that will pay just ridiculous amounts for you know, a toy. Right. And so we saw people selling those for like $2,000. And we went, well, we can sell tops for $2,000. That sounds fun. Uh, turns out we can't sell tops for $2,000, but we could sell tops <laughs> for $35. And so we made uh, another Kickstarter for this top that we called the Arch Top. And I had this little tiny lathe. I think it was total about maybe 35 pounds. And we started making these tops. Problem is, coming off the lathe, they were really not perfect. And so then we started finding ways to make them look pretty off of this you know, little tiny lathe. And we just started discovering more and more metal finishes that made this pretty simple product look pretty cool. What are some examples? So a lot of my finishing processes are kind of a combination of a couple different things. Uh, I do a lot of sandblasting with a really aggressive uh, media. I do a lot of tumbling. And then I use chemical blackening. At least this is what I do for brass. And by doing those things in different orders, you can get different effects. Hmm. So if you like use sandpaper and then, you know, not polish, but get a nice kind of brush satin finish on the top and then you can blacken it and you get this cool kind of antique look. Or you can sandblast it first and then do the, the blackening and you get a finish that we always call charcoal and the name pretty much describes it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did another finish that was a forced patina, a very aggressive forced patina with like a salt and vinegar solution where we would wrap the top loosely in paper towels and it would give it a kind of stone looking look. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is all brass. Yes. The tops we made were all brass. How did you make mine? Which which version is this? Can you see? So, Tom, you got the what we called the charcoal finish, and that was the one that is okay. sandblasted and then blackened. Hmm. <clears throat> so, I like it. 
I got to tell you, I was uh, perusing your, your Instagram feed and I saw, all I could see was it said extreme, the tumblers that said extreme on them. They looked impressive. Uh, where do you get those from? Because I, I've been thinking about getting a tumbler and pretty much what I've run into looks like garbage. Yeah. The, the tumblers that I use, and they're like, they're for people who are doing brass reloading or bullet reloading, whatever you call that. Um, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head, but it's something like Rebel Extreme. I can send you the link and you can put it in the podcast. I'm, I'm, I, just, I just looked up Extreme Tumblr on Amazon, and I'm pretty sure this is yours. Yeah, I, get, I got it from Amazon. When I first got one, they were like 150 bucks. <laughs> but at this point, I think I've sold so many of them for that company. Uh, not sponsored or anything that they they keep slowly raising their prices. I've sold probably <laughs> two dozen to people who have seen them on Instagram because they're they're so nice. With the big differentiating factor being that they're quiet, cheap vibratory tumblers are really loud. But these ones yeah. are about the same as a dishwasher. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen a number of them over the years. I used to I used to be around them um, more than I am now. But uh, I was thinking about that for reasons I will not disclose right now. Um, Are there so, different sizes, or is it uh, this like extreme <clears throat> Rebel Seventeen? Is that the? As far as I know, this brand only has the one size. The size is gigantor. It's probably like yeah. two gallons or something like that. Yeah, That's it's just big. like a. It's like an old. Uh, um, I don't know. I had a like a stone tumbler for jewelry making or that's what it was advertised at that was made this exact same way um and i have no idea where it went to it used to be in my dad's shop but it was a metal metal can and had the motor on the side like this so are, do you, I, may, what are, I may have one of these coming to me by the end of the show what are the drums made out of aj are they metal are they polymer so it seems to be just like welded steel, but it has a pretty thick rubber coating on the inside, like a probably more than an eighth of an inch. And that's one of the reasons why it's quiet. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was curious because uh, there's – the plastic ones are very noisy, but then the metal ones were also very noisy. So that's good. All right, so – you didn't make a fortune on pens. Tops were like doing okay. Uh, it seems like you transitioned into more products. So where did that kind of come from? Were you just kind of tired of making tops or? After, after the Kickstarter, it was a little bit more difficult to sell the tops. The tops did really well in Kickstarter, at least for you know where we were. But I had a harder time selling them through Instagram. And so that's when we moved on to more uh, products. Okay. So how many products do you have total that since you started with the pen? Um, okay, so we have, at least in terms of major products, there was the, the Spire pen, the Arch top, the Buttress wallet, the trays, branding irons if you count those, mm -hmm. uh, and I think the carabiners. There may have been something else in there. So I don't know, like seven major products we'll call it. I'm probably forgetting something. You said the pry bars, right? Oh, pry bars. Eight. Yeah. I I was looking at the, the carabiners, and I got to tell you, Tanda and I were talking about it. That looks like one of those things where somebody should have already thought of it. Like, it's the design is so simple. It's like, man, how come these aren't being produced, like, for, like, the last 20 years? It's like a really, really nice design. 
everything is integral, very simple and clean. Uh, I think that's probably like, like I want to own one, that kind of a thing. You know, I have a, I have a thing for carabiners and I, I don't really use them very much, <laughs> but I don't know. Is, is that, uh, are they titanium? Yes. They're grade five titanium, which you need cause they, they flex quite a bit. Right. Yeah. For the, the people who haven't seen these, and this is an audio podcast, I'm pretty sure. The way mm-hmm. my titan- my the way my carabiners work is instead of having a traditional hinge with a pin and a spring, the whole bottom of the frame is two parallel thin segments of titanium to form what's called a flexure. And so instead of having so instead of bending at a hinge, the whole bottom of the carabiner distorts to let you open it. It's a compliant mechanism. It's a compliant mechanism. So, so visually speaking, if you were to look at it, the top looks like a solid hook, and the bottom looks like a paperclip that's been separated. That's that's a, a visual for those of us that that haven't seen it before. Well, I've seen it. Everybody else that hasn't seen it. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's very cool. Um, I'm interested. Very interested. So, how does uh, have you? Have you been researching new metal finishes, or do you just stick with the ones that you've established so far? The most recent finish I picked up is called Cerakote, which is a... It's kind of halfway between, like, a powder coating and an enamel paint. It's a two-part paint that, you know, mixed together. It's a catalyzed paint um, that I believe is basically just an epoxy saturated with a ceramic powder. And I haven't really gotten great at it yet. So, like, right now I'm trying to perfect my process for Cerakoting. So how is that applied? It's applied through a HVLP gun, just like spraying on an enamel or uh, painting a car. And, and it sound, like, what's the cleanup like with that? Once it's cured, it's pretty much impossible to get off. Uh, when it is... Before it has cured all the way, you can just use acetone. I generally okay. will like wipe down my my gun with acetone and then fill up the bowl and spray acetone through it until it comes out clear. Gotcha. Okay, that's what I was. Is wondering. it abrasive? Is it hard on your gun to spray it? I mean, is the ceramic abrasive on your on your spray gun? I'm not sure. Uh, what I was told was to buy. They have this like kind of miniature HVLP gun at Harbor Freight and just buy those until they stop working and throw them away. So that's what I've been ah, doing. Okay. I was, spray- yeah, I was spraying a ceramic material through my, through my airbrush and it, and I went to use it and it just got worse and worse. And I didn't know what was going on. And eventually I looked at the needle of my airbrush and it was completely eaten away by, which makes sense after I thought about it by shooting ceramic particles through it. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know for sure, neither yes or no. Well, it sounds like an interesting finish. Um, I haven't heard of that before. I'm, I'm familiar with s- certain ceramic coatings, but not this specific one. Um, and I have a... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, it gets used on uh, firearms a lot and engines, because it's very hard-wearing, it's very thin, and very temperature-resistant. It is a they got a good color selection yes they do I, i'm always on the lookout for um durable 
durable applications um, because I'm, I'm constantly restoring tools and things like that. And, you know, tools get beat up pretty badly when you get used to, you know. So if I can find something like that, like, uh, do they offer a clear coat? Yes, they do. A couple different kinds. So that would be something that I'd be interested in as a test to see if I couldn't do, like, uh, like I do, um, like, some abstract art on tools. So if I could do art, like, with acrylic and then clear coat it with this stuff for, like, some added protection, um, that might be the way to go. And this is, I'm assuming this is just an air cure? So there's two different kinds. They have air cure and they have a oven cure. The air cure takes a really long time to cure, and it's not practical unless you have, like, a dedicated sealed room for it. Otherwise, you get dust and hair in your finish. The... Uh, the oven cure is what I use most of the time, but that would be a little bit hard for a, you know, 200 pound drill press. Oh, well, not impossible. Not impossible. No, yeah, you just <laughs> need a bigger oven. You can build an oven. Yeah. I've actually been well, meaning you, to build it. Well, you oven get an oven that big, then you have powder coating options as well. That was, yeah. Of ovens. yeah, that's, that's, I've been thinking about building a powder coating oven, an upright powder coating oven that has an integrated arm on it. So you hang everything and then you spray it, and then once you're ready, you just swing it in, and then close the oven up, and then you, you don't touch anything. It's like oh, it's all, it's all touchless. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's an option too. Um, what are you using on your titanium parts? What kind of finishing options? So this is one of my go-to. It's almost the exact same thing I did on my pry bars. Mm-hmm. I f- start by sandblasting the part which one does a good job of knocking off any burrs or any like heavy machining marks that might still be there. And then I tumble it after that. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm using a high pressure and a very heavy, aggressive blasting media. It makes deep pits in the part. And then when you tumble it, it doesn't quite tumble out all of those pits. And so you get more of like a, what they call an orange peel effect where it's not right. just like a smooth polished surface it's got a little bit more texture and, and um, uh, grip to it. Right. But you're not, you're not like shot, shot blasting it. You're just using it a real aggressive media. It's a coarse slag based medium. Okay. Slag, like lava slag? Out of a steel mill slag, yeah. Oh, that's lava. Yeah. <laughs> you can make your own if you do a lot of welding, maybe homemade lava is the best homemade lava yeah that's that's true that's that's where that game came from the floor is made of lava it's too much slag about welding (laughs) so aj is there anything else about metal finishing that you want to tell us hmm it's something that's very much overlooked by a lot of makers A lot of people, especially when they come from the woodworking world, will go, I'm just going to sand it because that's what you do when you're when you're woodworking. But there's a lot of options that require less effort and give you better finishes. Hmm. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time with uh, with metal parts, just cleaning up, deburring them and then going over them with, uh, you know, bare hair or something to try to get them looking nice when I should probably... uh, for small stuff, be able to just put it in a tumbler or something and walk away and come back later instead of standing over a sink and cleaning and 
turning it around, looking at it, finding little little burrs and places that I missed that aren't even, and so. Tanda, uh, I I gotta correct you. It's not bear hair. It's bear fur. That they, they oh. don't have. Bear, mm. Yeah, bears don't have hair. Well, they have mm. fur. Yeah. Bear fur. I've never heard anyone refer to it as bear fur before, but I'm I'm going to start. And if they correct me, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to refer them back to you. Well, I want to know, where are you finding the bears? I'm not talking about the animal. Oh, it's not animals? I don't think so. I think it's synthetic bear fur. Wait, did you're getting robot bear fur to, to, to polish stuff? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do it by hand, robotic bear fur is how most people do it. I, I didn't know that. That's a, well, I'll have to get some. We'll, we'll talk after the show. Tom, what's your personal history with uh, metal finishing? Um, I'm the guy AJ's talking about that doesn't uh, <laughs> that doesn't do a good job. But I do have I do have one really good experience, and I think this would be helpful. But um, so I spent a lot of time with the Woodbury blacksmith, and he does cosmetic welding. Okay, and what that means is that he's a terrible welder but he covers it up, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to cover it up, I actually wrote this down so I don't have to think about it on the fly. In order to cover it up, you weld your two pieces together. It could be anything. It's all mild steel in his world. Um, you grind it smooth, and then you sand it, all with an angle grinder, and then you heat that area up with a torch till it's like cherry red, which um, I don't think this is a, a, a real term, but it pickles it. Right? So, like, the whole thing was hand-forged, and it pickles that area again and kind of brings that slag out. And then you can wire wheel the whole area, and it looks like it's a continuous piece. I'm guessing that it's probably more of an oxidation than it is a pickling. Um, But, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm referring to more of the... Well, probably, yeah, probably just... Yeah, Yeah. and it probably... uh, by bringing it all up to the same temperature, you're you're getting rid of all the heat affected zones and everything that would be yeah, really obvious right. from the welding by yeah, and like then you can, kind of annealing it, if if you will, right. even though it's mild steel, it's not really but right, not yeah. technically the process, right? But like, and then you can wire wheel it to clean off all that slag and everything, and then it looks like a continuous piece, and then you hit it with you know clear coat or paint or whatever you're doing, um, but. Like, to AJ's point, a lot of times you'll see somebody make, like, um, let's just say it's a, like a chest of drawers with metal framing. And they, the weld seams are, look very obvious compared to the rest of it. And sometimes that looks really cool. And then other times, like, it should be cleaned up and it should look like a one piece, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that direction I think would be easier than forging something into a weld seam that looks like a weld bead. Right. Actually hammering hammering a weld bead onto the material. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, no, you make it completely gone. There's no <laughs> weld. Yeah. It's complete it looks like one it looks like it was extruded in an elbow. You know? Right. Elbow bead is, that's, is that's ex- my, a very complicated technique. Yeah, I have. I do have a question. I have been playing. <laughs> I've been playing with send cut send more and more, and I bought. I, I was working on. Gosh, I'm not even sure. I remember who told me to do this. I have to look back at my messages. Crap. 
Um, but I was working on these bevel mm-hmm. gauges. It looks like a flower. Right. And uh, they're brass. And I get them tumbled because I don't... They It's too small of a part for Send Cut Send to deburr. And I don't want to deburr it because there's a lot of like intricate holes and like tight spaces. Um, I polished this with my polishing wheel grinder thing. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. But am I better off... Do you think... Do you think I am better off getting them not not tumbled, not to bird, and do it myself? Or is it easier to get from a tumbled surface? Because it's technically a little pitted, right? Am I wrong? It would have a scratch I, pattern. It shouldn't be pitted. It's not pitted to the touch? Okay, I'm describing it as pitted. I'm not... Okay. But it's a very uniform scratch pattern. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that's harder to get to a polish than it is if it was not uh, tumbled? So you're going you're going from that to polished, right? Right. Yeah. Or just straight up laser cut brass to polish, because then I'd have to deburr. I'd have to actually take a deburring tool and clean this up, right? Yeah, if you just get it from Send Cut Send with the free deburring, or just like yeah. don't pay for deburring. No, they don't. So they won't then, do the free deburring is not an option on small parts. Right, but even That's even on other parts, I mean, it's it's kind of tertiary. I mean, it's not from Send Cut Send. You probably have to do something on just any uh, any raw part. Okay, so the tumbling's not a bad option. You think? Is that your assumption? I mean, in my opinion, I get lots of parts from lots and lots of parts that work from Sin Cut Sin, and almost always have to kind of go back over them a little bit, um, mm. no matter what. So if you have something to kind of take that burr off, especially a little part with lots of little tiny inside corners and stuff like that, where you can't just quickly take a okay. deburring tool or something and rub right. over it, um, so, so I think it's worthwhile. Hypothetically. Right. Okay. So hypothetically, it'd be harder for me to deburr and then polish than it would be just to polish the already softened, um, tumbled surface. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I get you. I'll keep doing it then. The thing is, I didn't want to buy them deburred and not deburred. Like, I didn't want to pay for both. And I'd rather not find out the hard way. So how much of a polish do you need? Oh, Mirror Shine. This is a fancy product. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need to actually mark these. I need. I'm, I probably need to use a fiber laser to mark. Put all the markings on here. I'd like to polish it to a to a mirror, but let me explain what I think of a mirror finish. I have a polishing grinder, and I have a green stick of polishing compound, and that is the only step I do, and it's pretty good. Um, but I'd love for you to tell me otherwise. Like, I'd love for you to be like, no, use this, this, and this. My thought is that if you're polishing a tool that's going to get used, and I believe that's for, what, gauging uh, blade angles? Yeah. So how long is it actually going to stay polished for? Why wouldn't you... Not very long. Wouldn't you prefer to do a finish that will look good for a longer period of time Uh, instead of one that looks good for the first minute and then get scratched up? Oh. Yeah, so like, so like, where's my top... 
So something along the lines of a top, or are you talking more of a Cerakote, or are you? what do you think? I mean, at some point, like, there's a million options. You just need to figure out which right. ones you want. Um, mm. Tumbled finishes are good for that because they're because they're already a scratch pattern. It they do a good job of camouflaging new scratches. Interesting. I don't love. I don't love the way it looks out of the package though because it looks like you know I see that scratch pattern. It's pretty uniform, but there is a lot of like, I guess maybe you call them blemishes or something. Like, I can scratch this with my nail? No, but I can scratch it if I rub it on something. If you if you coat it with anything, like if you do Cerakote, though, then does it even need to be brass? I mean, it, right. I mean it's I, nice yeah, that it I gives like it that heft. Brass, like, that's but, the idea, I guess. Yeah, yeah and the, the brass is because you're putting a steel blade into it so that it doesn't mar your, your blade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want it to look more like brass than this. Like, maybe that's my problem. Uh, what about shot painting or bead blasting? Doing that in-house? Would that give me a better fit, a, a different texture, basically? Yes, that would give you a shinier okay. finish. Really? Okay. Could I do that from this stage? Could I do that from the tumbled stage, or would I do that from before they do that? Um, I haven't play with played with those enough myself to give you a good answer. Sure. Uh, I okay. whenever you're finishing something, starting from a better finish will always make it easier to get a good finish. Right. I guess I don't know if a tumbled finish is better than a raw finish you could also do like start with that tumbled finish and then finish it with abrasive walnut shells or a corn cob with abrasive in it okay interesting as long as i'm delivering a uniform product it's up to them to keep it nice if they want it to keep to stay nice but i imagine this will just get like you know a piece of leather thrown through it and tied to a a kit a bag or something you know so the answer is, Tom, like you're going to have to try all the ways and see which way looks the best. <laughs> no, he narrowed it down a little bit. But yeah, you, I guess you have to experiment a little. And if it's, if it's fairly hard, you can mark it with your laser um, and, really? and like uh, Ceramark or something. I've had mixed results with it. soft metals like brass, but I've had some of the Cerakote um, or Ceramark yeah. products work with with brass i was i was thinking of just having send cut send send the parts directly to uh chris zepp and and then when Use they show fiber up laser. he wonders what they are i just tell him to put this file on it and he'll do it and then send them to me so i'm gonna do that the, sounds you know, even better what's that what's the, <laughs> what's that expression like ask for permission later right ask for forgiveness it's easier not easier to beg for forgiveness than ask for yeah permission. yeah thank you Yes. So, now that we've solved Tom's um, angle-finding problem, Tanda, do you have any uh, personal experience <laughs> with uh, metal finishing? I just bought a tumbler on Amazon. <laughs> it should, should be here later. Did you really? It should be here later in the week. <laughs> should be here in two days? Yeah. How much are That's they awesome. now, Tanda? Did you... 270 uh yeah ish little little less than 300 for the one that's actually branded by the their other knockoffs of it but so aj bought it at 150 and they're now 300 i bought my first one at 150 i bought my second one at like 240 yeah now they're like Mm. 260 Ah. something yeah i don't know there was some other stuff in my cart that added on to it so (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm getting a, a USB C mount camera and uh, and 
a uh, so I can so I can watch it tumble from uh, afar. <clears throat> does, unrelated does it, unrelated projects, but does it have a um, gyroscope in there so that when you know it's tumbling, the camera stays level? Yeah, yeah. No, it's just weighted on one side, so it kind of stays in the in the bottom. It's the USB cable gets caught in the in the tumbler. That's the problem. Get the Bluetooth version. Oh. It's too late. I already got the already got the USB version, and now I'm going to have to put a Raspberry Pi inside the tumbler. It's it's going to be a mess. Yeah. 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 You don't want to mix pie and medium. Uh, depends on the pie. That's true. Yeah. I take it back. And the medium. Yeah. But. Well, walnut. Would yeah, walnut medium yeah. and rhubarb maybe. Well, if you're tumbling with blueberries, you know, then pie is perfect. It's true. This is true. This is true. Never and tumbled the, and with blueberries. It also gives you the blueberry coating, so it's colored when it comes out. It's like, you know, it's a triple triple threat right there. It's something I've always wanted to try. Not blueberry specifically, but doing some sort of color in the tumbler. In the tumbler. Mm. Yeah. Just put like a pellet of some kind of dye in there. What do you what kind of liquid do you use in your tumbler? Do you use like just water and like a little bit of surfactant of some kind or if i'm doing non-ferrous i just use soap and water if i'm doing mm -hmm. uh, a steel based one i have a um just anti-rust tumbling fluid that i got from mcmaster gotcha and is that mixed with something else to cut it or you just use with it water. straight from mcmaster yeah, okay so it's almost like a coolant it's almost like a emulsion that's in the water to keep it from interesting you could probably you might be able to just use coolant it's it's antifreeze, yeah. yeah. It's antifreeze. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I don't I don't have a lot to add to the finishing discussion. I I tend to uh, I have one of the little cheap uh, sandblasters, like the powder blaster things that I haven't had much luck with. I'd like to invest in a nicer blast cabinet setup. Um, is it? Uh, I think it's Blue Hands Video. There are a couple people online that I follow that have done a really good job of retrofitting inexpensive blast cabinets to make them a lot nicer, and so that's something that I would, I would like to do as well. Um, I've done a fair amount of powder coating just with like a little convection oven here in the shop, and then we have a really big powder coating set up at uh, local maker space, which I have access to, like a four foot by six or eight foot oven like a like a huge walk-in oven um and then uh, i've done a fair amount of anodized stuff most of which i send out just because of my laser marking business so sometimes i'll i'll agree to do anodizing or kind of do it part and parcel with anodizing and then marking the parts laser marking the parts so but that's kind of kind of it other than just just painting things seems like growing up you know in terms of personal history we just we just made things and they rusted i don't remember if at, yeah. at best there was some spray spray paint laying around rattle cans that uh you you spray on stuff and i remember my dad having like this aluminum paint that was just always around i think it was like surplus oil field something that they used for painting tanks to protect them from oil and drip or something but we always painted our metal fencing and stuff with aluminum paint and i think it actually you know it was like bearing some kind of aluminum particles or something it was this really thick 
you know, almost like a aluminum mastic stuff. Huh. Um, but uh, but I've got a I've got a tumbler coming in, so I'll probably be asking questions about about media, and and then I'll be going, oh, that's that that's too hard to change out between ferrous and non-ferrous. I'm going to have to get another tumbler. Yeah. But but yeah. yeah, the one I have, I have one of the like upright basket tumblers that I use with and and they are just like anywhere in the shop that you put them unless you build some kind of soundproof enclosure is just annoying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is the reason a lot of tumblers go unused and then get orphaned. They're just yeah. too noisy. <clears throat> well, as for me, my my experience with metal finishing mostly has to do with, with, or I should say it stems from the jewelry world when I was a jeweler. And when you make jewelry, things got to be shiny. So most of it has to do with just getting things to a good polish and understanding that process. Um, there is tumbling in jewelry work, um, but mostly it is stone tumbling if you're working with tumbled stones, um, which is not, it depends on the type of jewelry work you're doing. If you're doing what would be considered um, more common or lower end jewelry, um, tumbled stones are much more prevalent. But, you know, otherwise you're using faceted stuff or what I used, uh, which was um, I would, I got raw stock uh, opal opal was the stone that I like to use and I had a diamond pacific diamond grinding wheel setup it was a six wheel polishing system so it went from a very coarse medium in like it was on a some kind of like a, almost like a latexy gel like it was it was medium suspended in like a almost look like paint basically and it's on a wheel that's uh, a rubber wheel, so it had a little bit of flex to it. So you're starting out, um, that's that's kind of like the end result. The very first one is a metal diamond impregnated wheel, which has no give whatsoever. And then you go through all the, the metal wheels, and then you go to the three impregnated wheels, and it got finer and finer and finer. And uh, this had a vacuum spray water setup so on each side there was a tray with water in it and there were these little brass um how do i describe this it was like a, there it was like a little box okay that had an opening on the bottom like if you took your finger and pushed in and made like a cup and then there is a air tube that's coming in from the back and then at the top there's like a little pinhole so it's mm -hmm. shoving, it's shooting the air in, which is sucking the water up and shooting it out the pinhole. And you just put that under whatever wheel you're working with, and then it just stays lubricated. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, you could get a pretty good polish on a stone um, with just that system, but there was additional things you could use as diamond paste and polish and stuff like that. Um, but for metals, like I mostly worked with sterling silver. Uh, I used this product, which is you can you can buy it on eBay. You can get a lot of different places, but it's called Fabuluster, and it it gives you a awesome polish, like a mirror polish on stuff. But kind of like what AJ was saying, 
the more steps you go through to get it there before you go through the polish, the better the polish is going to be. If there's a bunch of scratches and stuff in there, as soon as you hit it with the Fabuluster, those are going to pop out like eyesores. They're, they're, they're never mm. going to go away. You have to you have to get it sanded or ground down so close that it almost looks like it's polished before you put the polish on. Um, which you can do, depending on the jewelry, with a tumbler. You know, you can tumble metal um, if it's not too delicate for, for jewelry work. But I really didn't see a lot of people doing that when I was doing my work. But um, fast forward into the maker world, uh, most of the finishing I'm doing is uh, with, I do have a buffing wheel and several different compounds, uh, like red rouge, green rouge, you know, the white rouge. Uh, well, I guess white's not technically a rouge, but there's uh, there's all different colors and they're all different, um, you would say like grits. Mm -hmm. And for, in my opinion, for non what I'm going to say, delicate polishing. And by delicate, I mean jewelry. For anything tool-related, it doesn't really matter what what polish you're using. As long as you're just using something on a buffing wheel, you go back and forth between all of them, you're not going to notice a difference because it's tooling. It's, you know, you're not, even if you get something to a mirror polish, there's always going to be some sort of imperfection in there. It's never going to look like, like a diamond ring. You know, so you're never going to see hmm. the, the you're not like your eyes are just not going to go to it and go, oh, there's a scratch because the whole thing has got something going on. You know, there's machining marks in there. There's tooling marks. And that might be part of the allure of the tool. And sometimes hitting it with a polish just makes those accented more. And that that's attractive, you know, to see the machining marks instead of it just being completely smooth and it looks kind of sterile. Um, so I do use polish, not very much, but I'm probably going to be using it more because I saw Tom using the wool wheels, the polishing wheels on the angle grinder. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw him doing that, I, when I first got my Rolox system for the, the Milwaukee die grinder, I looked up, like I tried to find all the Rolox wheels there were. And I... I, I all I could find was fiber wheels, flap discs, and sanding wheels. I couldn't find anything else, and so I had to specifically look for wool polish wheel, and then it showed up. So, um, like this is a little bit of an aside, but the one thing I've been looking for that I haven't found is I really want a Rolock like a wire wheel, something I could just turn on, and it's a wire wheel that I can go ahead and just buzz around and then switch from there to a fiber wheel or a sanding disc. That way I don't have to have two different tools or I don't have mm. to take like a, a quarter inch shaft wire wheel and slot it into the die grinder having to change tools. I just want it to be like a, a second die grinder. I do need a second die grinder. Um, that's, that's, that's probably where I'm heading. Yeah. But you have my, you have my permission to spend money on that. I'm looking for one. I've been, see, I, but I didn't pay. I paid eighty dollars. Home Depot has them, brand new. Yeah, brand new at Home they're, Depot. They're expensive. <laughs> I paid eighty bucks for did mine. Did you know? You know, PJ. Did you know that stores sell new things? You know, I don't go to stores, Tom. What's wrong with you? 
That's not my thing. They they like always have them too. You don't have to wait months to find them. You can there's just stuff there all the time. Stumble across a really really good deal. Yeah. I I only buy my tools from farmers, Tom. Come on. I know that's true. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, that's that's the majority of my, my metal finishing experience. I try to make things look shiny, especially brass, anything brass. Like I said, the, the mag chuck I bought has um, brass inserts for securing it down to a table. So I made those nice and shiny today. And uh, I remembered uh, what I needed the tumbler for somewhere around Tom's talking about the send cut send parts. And now that I remembered that, I'm probably going to forget it as soon as the show ends. But I remember that I need a tumbler. So I'll probably end up with one. But I'm not paying 300 bucks. Tanda will accidentally send me one. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hi, this is Luke down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you having trouble getting a proper shine on your metal surfaces? Well, come on in to Johnson's and speak with our Polish polishing medium, Hana. Hana will reach back generations to provide you with ultimate polishing solutions. Through Hana, you can speak with top professionals in their field, in their day. They can provide advice and techniques for polishing your surfaces. You can find Hana behind our curtain section. Please do not pay Hana directly, do not make eye contact, and walk out backwards until out of view. Just $13.95 for the first 10 minutes and $13.95 for each additional minute. Please schedule your one-hour minimum session today. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's, it's time for crossbreeding. AJ, what skill goes well with metal finishing? That would be being a bad machinist. Ooh. Bad machining. Yeah. B- then you have a lot to finish. I used to be a bad machinist. I still am, but I used to be too. That that kind of sounds like the opposite of a skill. That's, I don't know, what what is, that? that's that's like a, I don't know what that is. It's, it's not really a, it's not really what we do here. We're, we're trying to promote. I think it prom- counts. Yeah, that's that's not what we do here. Yeah, that's where we draw the line. Yeah, that's a we're looking for a positive something that you would pair with it on purpose. You know, that's a. Oh, hmm. Tumbling. Tom, it's not your turn. Uh, Attention to detailing. Detailing. Detailing is a skill. Yes. So. I'll I'll give you that one as an aside. Okay. All right. Tom. Tough crowd. Jeez. Are you going to stick with tumbling? No, I had one, but I came up with tumbling and pushed the old idea out of my head, so I don't even know now. Uh, Oh, starting. Starting, it goes well with finishing. You can't really finish without starting, so. Oh, my God. He's using Michigan Lockjaw. I I told. Yeah, that's my brain stopped. Tom is using Munchkin logic. I can't fight that. Okay, Tanda, what what skill goes well with? Uh, with I thought you were trying finishing? to say Mitch Hed- Hedgebird logic. Yes, but, that too. Um, <laughs> but Munchkin logic is better. And and you know I was I was originally going to say uh, machining, but then I had to switch it 
um, after AJ went to starting, mm-hmm. and and now Tom's taking that one. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I'm gonna say uh, marketing, finger painting. Marketing goes well with uh, with finishing because most everything that you finish metal, you know, most metal finishing the product would work without any finishing. Mm. It, it's it's quite often not uh, part and parcel with the function of the part. Ooh. So I'm going to say I'm going to say marketing. Okay, all right. I'm going to throw you guys for a loop and go counter to my normal answers, and I'm going to say gunsmithing because there's a lot okay. of finishing work with gunsmithing. That <clears throat> stuff has to look impeccable. Gun people are very picky, so it's a lot of different finishing finishing procedures for guns inside and out that's my answer i like it and now it's time for give me your best guest yeah all right aj we know that metal finishing is your number one skill but we need to know your top five so what is your number two i would say product design okay product design and is that yes that started with the pen or did it start pre-pen i suppose the pen would have been the first product that i designed yes okay and out of the eight so far which one is your favorite like if you could only have one that you think was going to make you that two hundred thousand dollars which one would you put your money on I would say the carabiners, mostly because that's the only one that I haven't launched on Kickstarter yet. And so, like, I know that the other ones won't get me $200,000, but that one still has a chance. Hope is still alive. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. It's really bad, isn't it? Like, do you know, this is my first Kickstarter, thanks to you. And, like, you have a lottery ticket that you haven't scratched yet. And you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it could just buy you another lottery ticket, but it could also buy you a lot more. <laughs> I mean, I've done this enough that I have a, a ballpark guess of where the, the carabiners are going to end up, but yeah, it's uh, not going to be $200,000. <laughs> now, do you go Kickstarter cool, and then directly to another crowdsource and then Indiegogo. on sale, or you know, do you kind of have a pattern you follow? Um, my The pattern that I have been following is to make a product, put it on Kickstarter, and then sell the machine that I use to make it and go down a different route. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's so true. I did I did notice that you you have a different machine. Um, you know, the machines have changed cuz I started following you I think when you were doing started doing the tops. Cuz I remember showing Talk my brother-in-law cuz he's one of those people who like has this top collection. Um and uh and from that little lathe, you've progressed. So, I've bootstrapped my way up through several different machines to get to the one where I am now. And this one is going to stay for a while. So now that I have a machine that I'm not going to sell, my progression is Kickstarter to my Etsy store. Mm. Could you just cut out the middleman and just have like a level? Whereas if you buy me a Tormach 1100, <laughs> you get the carabiner and a bag of peanuts, sort of. <laughs> yeah. there's no way you're going to get that offer peanuts are going up in price 
Inflation is through the roof. I'll knock yeah. off the peanuts, but they have to move it into my garage or my shop. The, the, well, you might want to pay them with peanuts then. <laughs> it's very heavy. It's a big machine. Okay, so that's skill number two. What is skill number three? I would say social media in. Okay, that's a that's not really yeah. a verb, but so He's you fully grasp the verbization. So so what? Me, ooh. What what? Cyberbullying? How is that your skill? Explain. Like, what is the? Why does that come out? Are you like a social media savant? I mean, how how? Tell us the business here. <laughs> so, if I didn't have a social media presence, I would just be making things and putting them on a shelf in my garage, and that would be it. Um, all of my uh-huh. sales are really generated through social media. People see what I'm doing on Instagram, which is where I'm most heavily active, or on YouTube. And then that's what makes them come to a Kickstarter or my Etsy store. Uh, Very Uh. few of my sales are organic from Etsy. And maybe half, 50-50 Kickstarter are organic versus driven. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you've got got a little invested. That's, that's, okay. We'll we'll give you that one. I'll, I'll let that slide. All right. What's skill number four? I would say engineering, which is what I do as my trade, my day job. Okay, what is your day job? So I work at a sheet metal shop that produces a product line of what we would call checkout stand equipment. That is like the little device that holds the credit card reader. If you go to like a Walmart or a Meyer or Whole Foods, like we made all of those. Um, monitor stands. We also do some like warehouse type products. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, now to to my ears, that sounds like, uh, it doesn't sound like engineering. It sounds like just like kind of manufacturing. So where do you fit in? Like, are you doing the, the design work? Where What is your specific job? So we have a rather, the company I work for is rather small. Uh, I am the entire engineering department. I also do a lot of the maintenance and like the run the CNC mill. There is a little bit of a, a blurry line between product design and engineering. But I would not call what I do at that job product design because I'm not really designing the product for the user. I'm designing it to, su- to survive the application. Hmm. Uh, it turns out having equipment at the checkout stand on a Walmart is a surprisingly hmm. uh, hostile environment. <laughs> <laughs> you would be amazed at what people can break. So it's designing things that can be made uh, efficiently, cheaply, and that will last in the harshest of all retail environments. I like that slogan. Walmart, the harshest of all retail environments. I don't know. For some reason, when you say that, I'm thinking it's got to survive like a 450 pound, you know, stepmother that's dragging along a kid she doesn't want. You know, and it's like that's she's taking out all her frustration on that credit card stand it's it's got to be like you know stepmother tested that's uh or, or something along i don't know that's like i don't know something tested that's i don't know what the metric is what 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 how is that how is that uh rated you know like uh how do you score these things from the from the work you know oh 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 so it's fatigue testing i got gotcha. you mm-hmm. yeah that makes more sense. Yeah. Gorilla, gorillas are definitely 
Seems, it's the seems same. like they would just they would just put it out there and let people go through the checkout instead of using all those gorillas. Yeah, but no. I guess human testing is out. Well, Tanda, that's why we have zoos. They just take it and they throw it in with the gorilla pit, and then they just see how long it takes the gorillas to break it. And then, they, all right, we got at least a five-year product. Do they provide them with credit cards? Do they have to have their own accounts? They don't have any credit cards. That's why they're banging it all over the place. They're mad. They're like, oh. I can't use this. What's wrong with you? Smash, gotcha. smash. You know, that's, so then it's just a matter of time before it's going to break. It's all yeah. coming together now. Yeah, yeah. All right, that was number four. What is your fifth and final skill, AJ? Yes. And influence others to ruin their lives and do the same. I hope so, and I know you do too, but, like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Sidebar. We'll see. Sidebar. AJ, Tanda, so I didn't want to say this before, but Tom told me, and I, it didn't make any sense until now that you're on the show, he's including some level on the Kickstarter that includes a spinning top. And I don't know how it attaches to the frog pod, but I get the feeling he, he got this idea from you. And I, I think he's trying to one-up you, man. I, I don't know. It, it, it's he's He's got like 87 tiers to this thing, and he's adding stuff that just doesn't make any sense. There's a pogo stick at one level. I mean, I... I, I, don't, I guess it's the metal poto stick and the, the frog pod stays on it. I don't know. But are you helping I'm him? I'm in at the pogo pod level already. Pogo po yeah, the pogo yeah. pod. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's getting out of hand. But like I've already committed to everything he sells that's blue. So I'm, I'm starting to get scared because I'm, I'm running. I already spent all my money on, on my stuff from the dealer's corner. Did, did he, did he talk this over with you or is this like, He's going to blindside you with this whole top thing. <laughs> Tom does have a lathe obsession. He's got like 47. Yeah. So he keeps selling them, but then he keeps buying more. I, it's a, He's got way more than me. So that's that's for sure. I, I have one that's leaning up against the wall. That, that And it's not working. Oh, oh, it looks like Tom's done licking his frog pod. <clears throat> um, that... Well, I mean, I, I think that that's a good skill to have. Um, I mean, I think everybody's familiar with Kickstarter. I've, I've run several unsuccessful campaigns myself, so I feel your pain. Oh, it looks like Tom's got something to say. Yeah, um, I AJ, I didn't realize that Kickstarter... How do I say this? Kickstarter doesn't need to be a million-dollar product, right? I didn't... It just never dawned on me. Until I until I met you, found you, and and bought some of your stuff, I'm like, oh, five grand is awesome, like for a product launch. That's huge. That's more than I've ever sold of any product on my store, and combined. Let's not talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's why I did the frog pot. I was like, that would be great if I sold fifty of these things. That'd be huge. I like I've never done that on my store. And then it's just kind of snowballed out of control. And we'll see what happens. But um, I fully intend to keep doing this, hopefully, with other products. And again, like five grand is going to be a huge, that's that's a big deal for me, you know. So that's kind of like my, that's five grand's whatever. It's a random number. but Well, but it um, gets you that next set of tools. 
to be yeah. to be to be able to commit to more on your next right. uh, Kickstarter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Time. That, so, that, yeah. That, so that, I just didn't. That opened my eyes a lot. I was like, oh, you don't have to shoot for the moon. You can literally. I mean, the moon is always an option, right? But you can be perfectly content making thousands of dollars instead of tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's really cool. Well, then you'll be able to afford one of those tumblers. <laughs> or two. Uh, let's not let's not push it. <laughs> and you can have, and you can tumble the screws in the middle of the frog pod. Yes. <laughs> oh, hey, you know if the drums are metal, a frog pod would stick on one end and it could it could rotate, <laughs> spin around. Hey, that'll thump, solve thump thump. thump. Solve that'll hold my ten, camera. Yeah, solve your your <laughs> USB C problem. You just put put the camera on frog pod. Yeah, fantastic. Say so problem Great. solved. Yeah, that's how I created the spinning transition. Uh, by uh, putting your frog pot on Tumblr voids the warranty. Wait, the, of no of the Tumblr. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of the frog pod, and the frog pod doesn't have a warranty. It's a trick I don't know, those question. Magnets are pretty strong. They they might pull all of your metal pieces in the tumbler off to one side, <laughs> and then true. they don't they it's don't true. tumble. You'll, you'll get a single side cleaned off, right. and the other side will be rough still. <laughs> Not if they're brass. <laughs> that's true. What number are we up to? That was that, that was five. Right. We're we're that was it. Cool. We got everything. Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it is time for short and sweet. AJ, do you have anything you want to say to wrap up the show before we go to the secret segment? No, uh, we like to spring it on people. That you know, just just for for funsies, you know. But that's okay. You don't have to say mm. anything. You c- <laughs> that that mm. would explain this episode quite a bit. What's the other ten percent? And the other seven. Frog pod for next episodes. week. Frog, Frog pod. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, you said it more than me this week. Uh, yes, go check out AJ. Uh, DTE Design the the everything. Design the everything. Um, Instagram, YouTube, he has recently switched up his YouTube game and he's doing much fat, like Casey Neistat with a machine shop. Let's just go there. I'll just give you all that credit right now. Um, that sounds dangerous. Fast paced, fast paced, short stories and, um, good, good info. Um, but also go support him on Kickstarter when those things come out. Like, you know, the prices range, but you know. Even a fifty dollar item is is a solid like it's cool stuff. I have his tray. I have his top. I have his. What else do I have of yours? I have two more things. Oh, your orange. I did not buy a pry bar, and I told you I had I had FOMO. Well, I had FOMO, and I think maybe you can still make me one at some point, and I'll buy it. But um, uh, your orange peel keychain, not orange peel, orange keychain, orange slice, yeah. Um, I swear there's something else, but I, I could be wrong, but I'm going to buy a carabiner. Everybody should buy a carabiner. You'll see me post about it when it, when it happens, but go check it out. It's, uh, it's on his Instagram for sure. All right. Good, good pops there. Tanda, what about you? Anything for short and sweet? Frog pod. Frog pod. Frog. I'll just say that since, uh, you know, since Tom, thank you, you know, Used used his short and sweet. I thought I'd throw that out there. We're we're now going to be saying it every single week, 
until Tom does his Kickstarter to make him remember. <gasps> yeah. I have really cool news. Should I share news here or should I wait? Where else are you going to show the news? You the... Well, you can do it in the yeah, after show. The news. But we don't really have an after show. It's a secret segment. No, we don't. Yeah. I'm torn. Go ahead, Tom. I don't know. You could do it. Uh, It hasn't happened yet, so let's let him off the hook if it doesn't happen for some weird reason. But uh, Mr. Graz Graziano himself is going to help me out with photos and video this weekend. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And you're going to cut this out. Uh, no, it's going to come out Friday. We're not doing it until Saturday. Graz, you're on the hook, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just calling you out now. I only talked to him like an hour ago. And uh, he's committed. No, he is committed. He's he's been a friend for years now, and um, super talented creator. Um, so I'm I'm relieved that I have this help. I am excited because it's going to be fun. And um, and the other person helping me. You, well, Adam C has been helping me this entire time. He's going to get a lot of credit for everything that's been happening. But uh, Jocko has been helping me. And supporting what I'm trying to do and giving me really good advice and giving me, and, and he's going to the best thing, not the best thing. The advice is the best thing, but a really good thing is that he's going to back it. He's going to buy one on Kickstarter, even though I already gave him three. Um, and he's going to, which means everyone that has bought a maker knife or a kinetic driver is going to get notified that Jocko's backing the project. And that's, that's a big deal. So I'm excited. Very cool. well, well, that's at least five sales right there. It right? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's why I spent two grand the day after he he said he liked it because I was like, oh, time to invest. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that'd be my thinking too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I think it's gonna do well. I don't think I'm gonna buy a house with it, but I think it's gonna do well. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna it's gonna propel me to the next step, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. M- might be a step ladder. Just uh Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, CNC step CNC step ladder though. Oh yeah. Climbs it might maybe a step file. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Is is that like a file you've adopted? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not, it's not you don't treat it you don't treat it like you would an IGES file. Uh, right. Yeah. Or, okay. or or any other or any other been, native awesome. format. Yeah. Gotcha. You treat it like a step file. Yeah, well, brilliant. Yeah, I was just trying to get some clarification. Um, yeah, PJ, what's your short and sweet? Um, okay. I've said it a number of times. My mem- my my, my memory's terrible. My memory's terrible. Um, you guys know I talked about the outdoor table that I've been working on and finishing. The vice is mounted mm-hmm. to that. I'm happy with it. Although I think I may have unintentionally put the jaws that look to be the correct size at the wrong height because it does not come up to the level of the table. So now I'm trying to decide whether I should make new wood jaws that are level with the table or just leave them like two inches below where it is now. But uh, I have already scraped up the legs for the table by dragging it around from the wrong side, and I scraped the paint off. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, Ooh. the water is going to get to these, the wood, and then it's going to start to rot. I need to get it up off the ground. And my brain is like, you should get metal feet, you know, the kind that you nail on or screw on, and that'll work. And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be outside. I'm arguing with myself. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be outside, and then they're going to rust anyway. Like, it's not, that's not the, the, how about rubber feet? Let's, let's use some rubber feet. Okay, let's look them up on eBay and Amazon. So I do that, 
I find some good deals on both places. And then I'm like, man, you should just stop at Lowe's and get some rubber feet at Lowe's. So I'm out running my errands today and I'm about to stop at Lowe's thinking that that was the only thing that I needed there. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the depths of my brain, it goes, hey, you've got a whole box of rubber feet that you got from Matt's neighbor last year when you bought that box of bolts. There was, of course you do. Yeah. And I'm like, that's Doesn't a, everyone have a box of rubber feet. Yeah. Yeah. And not only do I have the box, but there's solid rubber feet. All the other ones I were looking at were not solid. They were, they were like, there was hollow pockets in all of them to save money. So these are like old school rubber feet. And I probably have like, I don't know, a hundred of them. So I'm like, oh, good. I don't have to go to Lowe's. I could just use these rubber feet because I also need them for the Walker Turner lathe because that needs rubber feet too because the wood legs and that are all rotted. I have to cut them off and put new feet on, but, like new new lumber. But now, you, but now you forgot all the other stuff you needed to get at Lowe's. Oh, yeah. So I get, I'm literally a mile from the house and then all of a sudden I'm like, you were supposed to buy rosewood wood stain for for something that you're doing and you didn't stop but I, and i'm like a mile from the house now uh that okay i can't i gotta go home did you remember that you have 37 pints of rosewood stain from another farmer in the area that you bought three years ago so i went and checked all the stains that i have when i got home <laughs> Just, just because I'm like, I probably already have it, right? I have, I have two cans for some reason of gunstock stain, which is does not. Oh, I like. I have some of that. Yeah, I don't even. Does it's orange? Yeah, it doesn't look like gunstock. Who has an orange gun? It's, it looks ridiculous. Then there was um. I I don't think that's a good color. <laughs> that that's like a Paul Jackman color. You know, maybe a flare gun would be orange. Oh yeah, because of the. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because of the toy gun, yeah, orange uh, plug. I don't, I don't think that's good. And, and then I found I had like a mahogany stain. Well, hunters wear orange. And I had a burgundy stain. I had like it danced around rosewood color, but no rosewood. So I'm um, I gotta I gotta wait till next week now because mm. I can't I can't make a trip out there just for that. I gotta wait till next Tuesday. So so that was that was more like long and salty instead of short and sweet. But I don't know. It was on my mind, but. I can't forget our Patreon supporters, our patrons. And I'm going to read out all of them because we haven't done that in a while. We got Old Timey Tools. We got our very own Tanda. We got Ben Makes KC. Hey, Seth hey, Williams. Alan Scannell. Seth. Dave Bauer. Alan. Lauren Bache. Tom's sister. My sister. Creator Nader. <laughs> uh, we've got Emery Pickering. David Beckwith. Aaron Lund, Overall Makerworks, Dave Bibelek, Marsh Wildman, Jack Has Tools, and Garage Monkey Son. PJ, do you follow Garage Mon- Monkey Son? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you see he made a little thing that he screwed to something uh, for changing the die grinder, the die grinder uh, wrenches? So he basically took a die grinder wrench and screwed it to the wall so that you only need one hand. I did not see that. Okay. Go look for it. That was short and sweet. I'm sorry. It was smart. You should do it. 
You should have passed that to Tanda. She didn't have a short and sweet. You could have gave that to her, and she would have had something to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you just read his (laughs) name and reminded me of it. No excuses, Tom. No excuses. He's doing so. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. Go check him out. Garage Monkey S A N, I believe. Pretty sure. Yes, that's that's the way to go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.